This is Father Toby with our sort of Easter Triduum special of what Jesus saw from the cross, uh, taking you through a series of uh, meditations and, and reflections on uh, this time of the of the Triduum. And today we're going to focus on uh, Gethsemane. We had a, a lovely call from a, a lady called Christine on questions of faith just earlier and and she spoke about um gethsemane as in her opinion the most sort of painful part of the the passion and uh and i i i agree actually i think i think physical pain can be sometimes be easier to bear, bear than mental anguish um and so i think what jesus undergoes in in gethsemane the the anguish of having been betrayed by Judas and the anguish of what lies in store I think that's the the most difficult time for him and uh, and I think that's expressed in almost these sort of words of of hesitation from him um, when he says father if it is possible let this cup pass from me um, and so we're going to we're going to pick up father Ralph Gorman's um, reflections um, on this at, at that point in the narrative. Jesus falls to his knees and then prostrates himself on the ground. Clearly through the still night air comes the sound of his voice calling to his heavenly Father. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass away from me, yet not as I will but as thou thy will. The other two evangelists, that's in Matthew, the other two evangelists who describe this scene use expressions slightly different, but essentially the same. St. Mark, who derived his information from St. Peter, uses the Aramaic word Abba for Father, the very word our Lord used, and which undoubtedly had remained engraved on Peter's mind. In his time of trial, it is to the Father that he turns. On the Mount of the Transfiguration, Jesus' divinity was so apparent that he appeared hardly human. Here in Gethsemane, he was so human that he appeared not at all divine. Always before he had spoken to the Father, with a quiet calm and as to a loving equal. Now he sent up to the Father a cry from a soul flooded with anguish and tormented with fear. And yet our Lord's prayer is hardly a prayer, at least a petition. It is rather a bearing of his soul to the Father, a statement of his natural abhorrence of the awful fate that weighed upon him. If it is possible, our Lord said, if it were possible in accordance with the divine plan, he asked the Father to remove the cup, the hour from him. Both these expressions refer to his impending passion. And I think this raises an, an, import, an important point for us about uh, prayer. I think sometimes we feel that sort of... Um, 
in prayer we have to come to God with a sort of a perfectly formed heart and that we have to say the right things to 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 God um but I think it's 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 okay to to have a a, a little sort of like argument as it were almost a a dueling with God in the in the same way that a that a that a child um might sort of argue with someone or a or a, or a worker might argue with their with with their boss knowing that ultimately what the boss says and you know ultimately what the parent says that's what will have to be what will have to be done and and, and submitting to that reality but nonetheless to to come fully candid about how i feel and who i am and how what the the lord is asking of of me you know how that makes me me tremor or how that makes me me sad these are all perfectly fine things to 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 bring to the lord in in our prayer because our prayer if it if it's not honest um what it what it what is it um and if we can't be honest in prayer where where can we be be honest um but remember this is not submission not an attitude of submission towards a, a tyrannical god but rather to a to a god who who creates us in love um who continues to hold us in love and who calls us into his infinite love so let's back up father ralph's reflection again often before jesus had prayed to the father as god he had had no need to pray whatever he willed was accomplished but he was also man possessed of a human will and natural inclinations and it was as man that he prayed here in gethsemane he addressed the father and made a request but he did not ask absolutely he asked conditionally i think that's a really important point isn't it never two words that should never um occur in our prayer are or else and those are words which don't properly belong before the father he asked conditionally he modified and completed his request by a reservation not as I will, but as thy will. In the very breath in which he made known to the Father the extreme repugnance he felt toward accepting the cup of his passion, our Lord disclosed his complete abandonment to the will of his Father. He showed in his resignation how to practice what he had taught the disciples in the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven at first glance there seems to be something strange and new in the words of our lord's prayer in gethsemane never before had he made a distinction between his will and the will of the father his life had always been so completely dependent on the will of the father that he could truthfully say my food is to do the will of him who sent me again and again he had spoken of the will of his father it was the light that guided his every step the end toward which he directed his every action the inspiration of his every word but here in the shadows of the olive trees now kneeling 
now prostrate on the ground. Jesus used strange new words. I will, thou wilt, not my will, but thine. Never before in his references to the Father's will had Jesus ever spoken of his own. Here we are in the face of a mystery that has its origins in the substantial union of the human and divine natures in Christ. Our faith throws light into the depths of this mystery, and we can safely follow the guidance of the Church's theologians, especially of the great St. Thomas Aquinas. It's nice to read a Passionist priest talking about the great St. Thomas Aquinas, their founders, St. Paul of the Cross, who was a great man in his own right. The great St. Thomas Aquinas, in trying to understand something of what was taking place in the soul of Christ. In the light of their teaching, we shall see that the contradiction between Christ's will and that of his Father is not real, but only apparent. Before we go into that, I'd like to uh, take a, a little pause to, to listen to some music um, as we sort of reflect on the, the magnanimity, the, the trust um, that's required in order to say, you know, not my will, but, but thy will be, be done. And we're going to listen now to uh, Vocha's 8 uh, singing, May It Be.
You're listening to Radio Maria, and on this Good Friday, we are reflecting on the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm reading at the moment from Father Ralph Gorman, a Passionist Priest's book, The Last Hours of Jesus from Gethsemane to Golgotha. And just before that piece of music, we were reflecting upon the, the the very real agony that Christ is is undergoing as he recognizes that he's been betrayed but also trying to to reconcile himself in his in his human will to to where it is that these next hours are leading him and father Ralph had sort of posed the posed the question an important one that for the first time we seem to see some sort of divergence between the will of Jesus and the will of the Father. And what does this tell us about the perfect union of wills um, within Jesus um, with the Father that we normally refer to? Father Ralph writes, When Jesus Christ became man, he took to himself a complete and perfect human nature. It was natural, therefore, for Christ to hate suffering. He shrank instinctively from the scourges, the crown of thorns, the nails piercing his hands and feet. Like the rest of us, Jesus felt a natural inclination toward the pleasant and a natural aversion to the painful. All of this is evident from a cursory reading of the Gospels. Since Jesus took to himself a complete human nature, he had a human will as well as a divine will. It is to an act of this human will as a natural sensitive inclination that Christ referred in his prayer in the garden when he said, I will, and again, my will. Although Christ had a single human will, that will had a twofold act or operation. These two acts are referred to as the natural will and the rational will. Um, and so as we see what, what he's saying here, that Father Ralph is saying, well, Jesus wouldn't be fully human if he, uh, if he desired to, to, have, to have pain. If he didn't recoil from the uh, from the idea of pain, well, that would and, and it would also mean that the pain that he suffered for us meant meant nothing. Um, you know, if he actually de desired desired it, if there was no discomfort, if there was no revulsion from this, then it doesn't become an act of love to to endure it. And in the same way, we might look at the the woman, sort of you know, particularly with the with the sort of having a having a second child that she she desires to have the child um doesn't desire the pain of childbirth particularly probably not having been through it the the, the first the first time she doesn't desire to go through that pain again but she does desire the child and so we can see a sort of a divergence of wills with with within the, in the person on her on her natural level the woman does not desire the the pain but on the higher level she desires the pain because she desires the greater good that is the child, the natural will and the rational will. 
Father Ralph continues, St. Thomas explains these two terms quite simply. The act of the natural will is directed to something willed in itself, as for instance, health. The act of the rational will is directed towards something that is a means to an end, such as taking medicine. It is the natural will which hated the sufferings of the passion that Christ referred when he said, I will, and again, my will. But the act of the rational will, that's the higher level of willing, in Christ, placed him in complete and absolute conformity with the will of the Father. When Jesus said, Thy will be done, he accepted unequivocally and unconditionally the chalice of his sacred passion. His sufferings were the divinely ordained means of attaining our redemption, so he willed them in order to secure that end. There was no contradiction whatever, therefore, between the human and divine wills in Christ. Christ's prayer is a perfect example of what our prayer should be. He expresses himself with filial confidence, using the term Father, my Father. He explains the natural aversion, the extreme repugnance he experiences towards the awful sufferings that await him. He asks to be delivered from them if it is possible, and he ends on a note of complete and absolute resignation to the will of the Father. So hopefully what we've said there is is clear. Um, if you have any questions or comments um, on what we've uh, been been reading through and, and discussing in, in this last 20 minutes also, then please um, do give me a call. Um, Tim is manning the lines in Cambridge and would and would love to, to help take your call. The number, if you want to call in, is 01223. Three seven five five six four. That's zero one two two three three seven five five six four. But hopefully, in that explanation of Father Russ, we see how it's it's quite possible to sort of to will two things at the same time. To to will, you know, a, a great good to be achieved, but not to desire what it takes to to achieve um, that thing. Um, and on on a very simple level, sort of you know, going out for a for a run, we want to have gone for the run, but we don't want the pain, at least at the the run in in the early stages before you get warmed up and get into it entails. Um, but we have to make sure that the sort of the the lower the lower will, um, the will that that doesn't like discomfort doesn't triumph in us that doesn't stop us from from doing the things which we which we truly desire and the things which we know are truly good for us because if we become controlled by our our, our lower will then our, our lives become all over the place and and we lose control father ralph continues a person in the grip of mental anguish is agitated restless from the gospel accounts of what took place at Gethsemane, it was evidently so with Jesus. At times he knelt, at times he cast himself 
on the ground face downward. Probably too he prayed in the ordinary manner of the time, standing with outstretched arms. After a while he broke off his prayer and returned to the apostles. No doubt he felt the need of some consolation from speaking with his chosen three. Jesus was obviously disappointed to find them sound asleep. It is difficult for us to understand how they could have fallen asleep in view of what they had just seen and overheard. Um, though I relate a little bit to the apostles because I was, I was trying to keep vigil um, last night at the end of our beautiful Mass of the, the Lord's Supper on Monday, Thursday, I had to uh, pop out at one point and go and make myself a, a coffee because I kept on nodding off and the chairs um, that we have before the chapel, they don't have sides and uh, so I was rather worried about actually sort of fall, falling falling off the chair um, in rather sort of calamitous fashion and making a terrible racket um, which would have disturbed the others and also been a little bit embarrassing for me. But even after the coffee, I came back and started to fall asleep again. So it can be difficult for us when we're when we're tired and uh, and maybe also sort of emotional to 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 pray. But sometimes the important thing is to recognise that, that there's a value in, in me just being there and just and just trying, and don't let perfect prayer be the be the enemy of of the good that is that is prayer however we happen to 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 be so father ralph continues they had watched and listened during the first part of christ's prayer but as jesus continued to express the same thoughts in more or less the same words they gradually wearied and fell asleep we must remember that they never took our Lord's warning sufficiently to heart, so great was their confidence in his miraculous powers. St. Luke offers an excuse for them when he says that they were sleeping for sorrow. Sorrow caused by what they had seen and heard undoubtedly contributed to their fatigue. Nevertheless, it is a little shocking that the three chosen apostles should be stretched out in sleep while Jesus was prostrate in prayer, and whilst his enemies were gathering their forces in the surrounding darkness in preparation for his arrest. Jesus aroused the sleeping apostles with words of gentle reproach addressed directly to Peter. Simon, do you sleep? Could you not watch with me one hour? There is a touch of irony in our Lord's words, he addressed him as Simon, the name by which he was known before his call, to indicate that he had not really changed yet, that he had still not become Peter the Rock. He questioned him, Do you sleep? As if such a thing was incredible, and then to press the point still further added, Could you not watch one hour? But a short time before, Peter had led all the others in the boasting that he would follow Jesus to prison and to death. Now he could not watch one hour with him. Jesus' words were a gentle rebuke, a reminder to Peter of his recent boast. 
And I've just been thinking about how when when Jesus reproaches Peter for his for his boast, he doesn't reproach Peter for the for the fact that he won't be able to do it. He doesn't reproach Peter and say, you should be able to do this, but you won't do it. And that's the, the problem. Rather, he reproaches Peter, I think, for Peter's lack of, lack of humility. Reproaches Peter for saying, you'll do this, but you seem to have no knowledge of yourself, Simon Peter. Um, you seem to think that, that your strength is, a, is enough. You don't yet rely on, on me. And so I think Christ wants, first and foremost, not, not our strength, but our, our humility. And it's only from our humility that strength can follow, because only when we're humble do we realize our weakness by ourselves, and it's when we realize our weakness by ourselves that we turn upon the, upon the Lord. Um, and it's, it's in Him we have our strength. Um, in Him we have our living and our being. Watch and pray, our Lord now said to them. This was no time for sleep. This was the time to watch, lest they be taken unaware by the dangers that threatened. And they were not only to watch, but also to pray that they might not fail, but might pass safely through the dangerous times ahead. They were to watch and pray that they might not enter into temptation. Trials and temptations there must be in life, but vigilance and prayer give assurance of victory. Christ referred to the storm that was about to break over their heads, but his words of admonition have a permanent value that the passage of time has not lessened. Jesus went on to say, The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He was still thinking of their boastful protestations of a few hours before. But at the same time, he offered an excuse for the weakness of the apostles. Christ's words give a reason for the necessity of watching and praying. A man may be full of goodwill and good intentions, but these can be brought to nothing in a moment of trial through human weakness. How completely the truth of his words was to be realized in the conduct of the apostles in the hours that followed. And I want now to, to pause once more for some music. Again, we're going to listen to uh, another piece sung by Voches 8. Uh, this time, Orlando Gibbons is very, very beautiful drop drop slow tears if you have any questions comments reflections on what we've been reading then please do call in the number is zero one two two three three seven five five six four that's zero one two two three three seven five five six four Thank you. 
we were just listening there to Watchers 8 with their beautiful rendition of Drop Drop Slow Tears by Orlando Gibbons. And we're now going to resume our reading of Father Ralph Gorman um, in his book, The Last Hours of Jesus, taking us through Christ's agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. After admonishing the apostles, Jesus returned to his prayer. The subject of his prayer was still the same, but there is a slight difference noticeable in the words as related by the first evangelist. In this prayer our Lord said, My Father, if this cup cannot pass away unless I drink it, thy will be done. No longer was there any mention of his own will. Now there was only the Father's will. If the Father did not wish that this cup should be removed from his lips, the human will of Jesus made an act of complete resignation and conformity. Jesus was still restless. Again he sought solace in the company of the three, and again he found them sleeping. How long Jesus' second prayer lasted we do not know but it must have been some time, as it is probable that, after our Lord's rebuke, the three had made an effort to remain awake. Nevertheless, they had finally given way to slumber, for as Matthew and Mark both say, their eyes were heavy. Our Lord must have awakened them because, as Mark tells us, they did not know what answer to make him. They were too embarrassed to speak. It is easy to picture them. They had been lying on the ground in a sound sleep. When Jesus awakened them, they sat up, rubbing their eyes and looking at him shamefacedly. These are the same three who had been with Jesus on Mount Tabor at the time of his transfiguration. There they had been elated. There Peter had found his tongue quite easily and had known what to say. Now even Peter was too ashamed to speak. Jesus left them again and went off a third time to pray. The evangelists do not tell us whether he warned them again to watch and pray. It is likely that he did. This third prayer of Jesus is a repetition of the first and second. It is evident that the struggle continued in the soul of Jesus. His repeated acts of resignation to the will of the Father had not destroyed the opposition his human nature felt to humiliation, suffering, and death. Indeed, it is evident that the struggle in the soul of Jesus was mounting in intensity, for it was during this final prayer that an angel from heaven came to strengthen him, and that he suffered an agony and a bloody sweat. St. Luke tells us that there appeared to him an angel from heaven to strengthen him. It was an angel in human form, as the expression used by St. Luke indicates an apparition visible to bodily eyes. An angel announced Christ coming into the world, a choir of angels proclaimed his birth, and after the temptation in the desert, angels came to minister to him. The angels who ministered to Jesus came to assist him after the trial of the forty days fast and the temptation. 
In Gethsemane, an angel appeared in order to strengthen him in advance for the awful climax of his mental anguish in the agony and bloody sweat. Jesus' sufferings were concentrated in his soul, but from the soul they overflowed to the body, distressing and weakening it. It is likely, therefore, that the angel brought Jesus strength for both soul and body. How the angel did this is a mystery that God has not revealed to us. The explanations given are therefore conjectural. Some think that the angel spoke to our Lord, reminding him of the great good that would be accomplished by his passion and death. While the angel could not act directly on the soul of Jesus, he could act on his sensitive faculties by suggestions that would have an echo in his soul and assist him to triumph in the terrible struggle that was even now reaching its climax. By his acceptance of help from an angel, Jesus manifested his humility, but as a member of the human race, he had taken to himself a nature lower in rank than the angels. As the sacred scriptures put it, thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. After telling of the angel, St. Luke goes on to say, And falling into an agony, he prayed the more earnestly. The Greek word for agony does not mean the final spasms that often precede death. The ancients used the word in referring to a struggle, such as the contests of the sports arena. Sometimes it was used of the emotional upset that athletes often suffered before a contest or of any violent emotional disturbance. St. Luke uses the term here to express the supreme anguish that gripped the soul of Jesus in the struggle to submit his natural inclinations to the will of the Father and accept the awful shame and sufferings of his passion. And so I just want to pause there as I've been uh, told that we that we have a have a caller. Hello, is our caller able to to hear to hear me? I, I'm not I'm not able to 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 hear hear the hear the caller, unfortunately. Um, hello, I'm um, Josephine. Yes, can I ask the question? Uh, okay, hello, Father. Um, if Jesus was sinless, how did he feel the pain? of passion and crucifixion. Thank you. Jesus had said, My soul is sad, even unto death. After he had expressed to his father his submission and his acceptance of the cup of his passion, his mental anguish did not subside, but went on increasing until it reached a climax in the supreme moments of struggle that St. Luke calls an agony. Everything indicated that this was indeed the culminating point in Christ's mental sufferings. Just before it, an angel had come from heaven to strengthen him. Now his prayer increased in intensity, 
he prayed the more earnestly, and finally, as a result of this racking interior anguish, Jesus suffered a sweat of blood. And just as I read these, these words, um, what strikes me is, is what Christ is undergoing all in the, the same place. Like Father Ralph has just likened the, 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 sort of the, the agony to that undergone by a, an athlete. But the, the difference is that the, the athlete is, is, is moving. Um, but Christ here is, is not running. Um, he's not running from what he's being called into for the, for the sake of, of love. And sometimes the most difficult thing for us in so many ways can just be to to stay in that place, um, to stay in the place of prayer, to stay with the the person who who's driving me mad right now, but who needs me to to love them, who needs me to stick by them, to stay with the the person that's difficult. Um, there's a, a sort of a counterfeit form of Christianity that that gets preached um, largely in the sort of the prosperity gospel, but also in this fulsome, wicked idea that somehow, if we're obedient to the will of God, then then everything's going to be to be rosy. But rather, what God promises us is that if we're obedient to the will of God, if we pray, if we receive the sacraments then we will have the strength in order to be able to endure the difficulties. And in doing so, we will become more like Christ. And in becoming more like Christ, we can be full of hope that we will come to share in the great beauty of the beatific vision, that we will come to share in the, the glory of the, the saints and of, and of, and of Mary in, in heaven. But we're never promised that there will not be trials this side of eternity. Rather, we're promised that there will be, but we will be given the strength to endure them and know that we are not alone. Um, I want to listen now to uh, a piece by Anton Bruckner, again, sung by, by Vochazate, um, which is often used for the, the dedication of a, of a church. The title of the piece is, is Locus, Iste, um, this place, but it just makes me think about the importance of the importance of uh, of staying in this place, of not fleeing, but staying for the sake of love.
Hello. You're listening to Radio Maria England. Um, I've just been told the question um, that I wasn't able to hear was from Josephine, and she was asking, as Jesus was sinless, why did he suffer pain? Um, and it's a really important question. Um, Jesus makes the, the point at one point when there's the, the paralyzed man um, about how sort of not all pain and suffering is the result of our, of our own sins. Sometimes our sin does cause us uh, pain but as we see with with jesus um and we see with with mary who was also without sin that the the result of of loving and of saying yes to to god in a in a fallen world is that there will be there will be suffering um but what the the mysteries of this time of easter show us is that our, our suffering our pain when when accepted out of love of Christ, will not be rendered futile, but rather become part of his work of, of salvation. And in that way, the, the pain becomes transformed, not, not taken away, but rather ceases to be an expression, ceases to be something futile, but rather now can be an expression of how much we love. Um, I think at uh, this point, uh, we should probably draw this to to a close because I've run uh, slightly slightly over. Um, we'll be continuing um, to to draw upon uh, Father Ralph's reflections and, and meditations uh, tomorrow at the same time at at twelve o'clock on Holy Saturday. Um, but now I'm going to to hand you back to the Cambridge studio. Um, where I think they will be praying midday midday prayer prayer with you um, before you will hear it around about one fifteen. My word for today, um, reflecting on 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 Christ's forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness in the world on Good Friday. Closes in upon me. 
they have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones.